Good morning. Hey, if you have found your way into this room, wherever you are from, wherever you have come from that has brought you here, you are welcome here. Um, however you have been greeted today, I want you to know you are welcome here. Uh, this is a safe place for you. This is a place where we gather together each and every Sunday. We have got people who absolutely adore God in this room. We have leaders whose life purpose is to help you know God better. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's going to be a good day. The weather is beautiful outside, isn't it? You know, I mean, man, this is just starting to become a little, there is a fall coming, right? It's, it's, it's here. Today, what I wanted to do in this beautiful day is I wanted to talk to you a little bit about mercy. Uh, this is what we are going to talk about. Mercy is a, um, it is like an unexpected kindness, really. Uh, mercy is, it's like that moment when you get home and it's been a great day. People were kind and they were encouraging and you look down and you have on two different color shoes. It's like that moment whenever people are so kind and encouraging, even though you realized that you're in the wrong bathroom. It's, it's those moments that you know it could go a whole different direction. But instead, there's kindness. It's, it's uh, the moment whenever two football teams decide to work together to show an unexpected kindness to a student with special needs. Touchdown, great play, great drive. Way to get it done by my boys and myself. I can't believe this. I'm in shock, man. Oh, what an emotional night's been for me. Well, Kieran, for four years, has been our, our loudest supporter, our biggest champion. And, you know, it's been his dream for four years to suit up in a varsity football game. I love that moment at the very end. He's just given a regular interview. Great play, great drive. I just love that. That's what mercy looks like. But mercy is not always easy. Mercy takes effort. It takes effort. And uh, I think today what I wanted you to really understand and or be reminded of, because I think many of us already know that mercy is valuable. But I think what I wanted to remind us of is that it's more important than we may even realize. It was so important for the student. This is just one story. But it's a story. It's an act of mercy that changed two teams. It changed the culture and the way that, that, that two teams you know, acted. It, it changed two schools. Now it's part of this, these, this DNA of the school. Two of them. How many thousands of students know the story of mercy? resonates now throughout history. This video is going to be online forever. 
But what would it look like in a world without mercy? Well, I guess you could just, you know, look on social media. Or go to a school board meeting, am I right? Of course, sometimes those unmerciful voices happen to be good, solid, active, church-going Christians. Sometimes that unmerciful voice has been mine. Today I wanted to wrap up this series on unclean by reminding us of the importance of being merciful. And when it comes to the people that we see as unclean, it is all about mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for showing us the meaning of mercy through Jesus. Thank you for being merciful to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our uncleanliness. Lord, Father, thank you for giving us Jesus who continues to serve as the perfect example of your mercy to us. So today, please help us to listen, help us to understand, and help us to learn what it means for us to be merciful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew 5 and Matthew 9 today. And we're going to also be in Hosea 6. It is in your app if you want to follow along with some notes as well. So in Matthew 5, Jesus is talking to a large group of people and he's in the middle of his Beatitudes. A lot of us can probably memorize this. But he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And then he goes on and says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And I believe whenever he's putting these two things together, really what he's telling us is that if you really want to know what it means to live rightly, if you really want to hunger to, to, to know what it means to focus on justice and righteousness, because those two words are interchangeable. A lot of times that word is used for justice as it is for righteousness. If you really want to know what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it starts with mercy. And if you pursue mercy, then you will be shown mercy. So what does it mean to be merciful? You know, mercy has a few meanings. You know, mercy it could, could be just not getting what we deserve. Um, to give mercy is to act with compassion on someone for people uh, who needs help. In the most basic sense, if you want to, you know, just kind of paint a good picture, it's in the most basic sense, it's not kicking someone when they're already down. I think that's a pretty low bar, but that's still merciful not kicking someone when they're down. But one in particular uh, talks about mercy is this uh, act of helping someone who's in misery. Helping someone who is miserable or even sick. How many hospitals have the name mercy attached to them? So that's one definition. So let's play a game. I want to see if you can tell me, uh, if you can spot the sick or miserable person. Here we go. Let's start here. Well, maybe it's too hard. Okay, let's go a little bit. See if you can spot the sick and miserable. Let's see here. How about that? Can you spot the sick and miserable person? Yeah, it's a little hard. You probably don't know. You need, you need a little more context, backstory. Um, we, we see people like this all the time, and I don't know what, if your first thought is, I wonder if they're miserable. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know if, if that's really what we're looking for. We just want everyone to be okay. You know, I'm okay, you're okay, we're, we're good. And the moment someone starts expressing their misery, it gets a little uncomfortable. 
So sometimes it's kind of hard to spot miserable people because we're all really good at hiding it. And so what I wonder is, is could we recognize the misery in, an, in, in others and, and could we see exactly the people who actually need help? Because when you're in misery, it's, it's, it's just hard. Life isn't, well, it's obvious, life isn't good, but, but sometimes you kind of act the victim. Sometimes you feel overlooked or taken advantage of. Some people who are in misery, they fight against that. And what they do is they try to compensate and overcome the misery by coercion or violence even, trying to get what was taken from them. But one thing that I've learned is that when it comes to misery, people in misery, people who are sick, mercy counteracts the effects of misery. If you are miserable and someone shows you kindness and mercy for a moment, it's better. In the extremely poor city of Calcutta, India, we see Mother Teresa. Her legacy continues to live. She decided she was going to go to the poorest country in, in the world and serve. And she cared for a lot of people who were in misery. Oftentimes, that care was simply eye contact. You know, sometimes it was um, just a touch. Bringing them in, giving them food. For some, it was actually just giving them respect and humanity. Because for so many people in that culture, their civilized society completely neglected them. They didn't even treat them like humans. Mercy is inviting these poor people into this world of humanity to let them know they are the beloved of God. Blessed are the merciful. So we're in Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew, Matthew 9 is a text that I used when we did our series on food in Scripture. And I go back to this because something else happened in this evening that I think is important to remember. Um, I think it shows us just how important mercy really is. So, so Jesus has just called Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. And we, we all have heard just all there is to know about tax collectors. Um, I'm sure that that moment when Jesus called Matthew, it did not instill confidence in his existing followers. How oftentimes do you think of how the other apostles felt about Jesus including him or him and I know they were amazed that Jesus was healing the sick I know they were amazed that he was doing some 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 beautiful things with the poor crowds were just following Jesus um, people were starting to see him as the Messiah and they were maybe starting to even imagine a, a, a nation without Roman influence there was dreams that were coming but then he goes and he calls a tax collector now, first of all, Matthew isn't poor. He's not neglected. He's not oppressed. Tax collectors have created their own life and their own situation, their own mess and their own wealth. And it was a lot of wealth in some instances. So why does Jesus have to include this unclean one into our already pretty good group? And those feelings run deep. The bias runs very deep. And it makes things worse for these people. Matthew throws a party that they have to go to. But Jesus loves parties. 
You see him, he's eating all the time. He loves it because he loves that interaction with people. So this is what the text says. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, as Elizabeth so aptly said, she said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor. Jesus says, it is the sick. And then he says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous, not come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And I always found this to be interesting because I'm wondering, how do the Pharisees know about this dinner? They obviously weren't there. You know, they're not going to eat with tax collectors and sinners. You know, if you're all sitting there and let's say you're all, you all have a beer, you're not going to look at that guy and say, hey, why is he drinking a beer? I mean, they're not doing that. They're not eating with Jesus or the tax collector. So how are they there? I think they were this equivalent of a morality neighborhood watch. Prowling around the city, making sure people were doing what they were supposed to do. That Sabbath, making sure, though, you're not working. Okay, go home. It's all good. By the way, this is still a thing in some Middle Eastern countries. They have morality police. And in some instances, punishment is swift. I tend to think that this is very similar to that. Whatever the reason, they see this happening and what they saw offended them deeply. It wasn't a question. It was an accusation. And if you want to know just how difficult it was for these Pharisees to uh, stomach this sight, then, um, I don't know, replace tax collectors and sinners with the names or groups of people that bring up a visceral reaction to you. So um, uh, why is your master eating with prostitutes and clansmen? Why is your master eating with telemarketers and internet trolls? Why is your, why is your master eating with OU fans? Really? <laughs> Did I go too far? Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was eating with people that, that were dismissed and neglected and in some instances hated hated but notice Jesus doesn't try to hide the fact that it's awkward it's awkward he doesn't even say now hang on these are good people don't be judgmental he doesn't say that what Jesus does is he always brings people back to scripture always he says it's not a healthy a healthy you need a doctor it's the sick and these, these sinners may not have been poor, but they were sick. There are some of us who have a load of wealth. Some people in our culture, in our community, are very wealthy, and they are also very sick. These sinners may not have been poor, but they were sick. They were still in misery, and it makes me wonder... Did the Pharisees ever pay attention to those people who were in need or sick? Or were they more interested in making sure that they did everything exactly right than they were with spending time with anyone who was considered sick or even in misery? I mean, after all, they don't want the uncleanliness to rub off on them. But these were spiritually sick people 
And the moment that Jesus reached out and tried to help them, he was criticized for it, accused, even condemned, I believe. And we can still see this same thing today, but, but they couldn't see it. We, we read the scripture, we can see it, they couldn't see it. They couldn't, they couldn't stomach the fact that God loves the whole world, that he loves all of us, tax collectors, sinners. He loves the, the best of us. He loves the worst of us equally. And because of this, the Pharisees, they began to try to put a stop to that. And even now, just think, how would we respond if certain groups of people started to come to our church? Some groups of people that we may consider unclean. Some groups of people that we may consider depraved, lawless. Those, just imagine those few people that draw a physical reaction from you. If they started coming to our church and sat in little groups, if they sat in your pew even, would our first response be mercy? It wasn't the Pharisees' first response either. Because I don't know what, what I would do if the person or people I'm thinking of were to come in. I know my heart would start beating faster. I know in some congregations that this is one of the reasons that people do not invite their unclean friends to church. They fear that condemnation and that judgment, those accusing eyes. Even in the early church, in the early church, they started to branch out a little bit. These small groups of Jesus following God-loving, baptized believers were starting to include Gentiles. And they were criticized for it, harshly in some instances. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a uh, theologian in the first part of the 19th, hundreds, 20th century. Uh, I've got on the app a little bit more about him, but this is one of the quotes that he has. He says, the merciful will be found consorting with publicans and sinners, careless of the shame they incur in order that they may be merciful. They cast away the most priceless treasure of human life, their personal dignity and honor. For the only honor and dignity they know is their Lord's own mercy to which alone they owe their very lives. Mercy can cost you your dignity. It could even cost you your friends. I mean, in school, going to sit with that person that sits by themselves at lunch that no one else sits with, that's a very merciful act, but it's going to cost you something, isn't it? Mercy is costly. How much did it cost God to show mercy to us? The man's name was Frank, and he was a pilot in World War II. Uh, he got scrambled to his plane, or his plane scrambled, he called his plane. He took off, and there was a low-flying bomber that's damaged, and it was flying over his position. So he, he uh, got in his plane, he caught up with this very low-flying and slow-moving target, uh, easy target. He, he, you know, rose up real high, and then as he was coming down, his finger on the trigger, he noticed something just seemed a little off. He didn't fire. In fact, what he did was he kind of went around to the side of the plane. He noticed the tail gunner was dead. 
And as he pulls up to the side, he sees all of these side gunners are attending to the wounded in their, in their, in, in their bomber. And then he, he, he flies up right even with the cockpit of the bomber and he has eye contact with the pilot. The pilot's eyes were just wide in fear. He was trying to fly this thing on only one engine. So Frank had a decision to make. He decided to show mercy. So he made some sort of a gesture and he said, follow me. And the bomber followed him and he escorted him to safety. Bomber survived. All five men on board survived. Except for the tail gunner. Frank didn't tell his boss at all. <laughs> Just don't do that during war. That's, that's probably considered treason. You could have gotten executed for that. At the least humiliated and shamed and been thrown into prison. I mean, he had every right to shoot him down. He was the enemy. But instead, he showed mercy. Fifty years later, these two men met. And Frank was actually Franz Stiegler. He was a German pilot. The bomber pilot was named Charles Brown, and it was a B-17. They met together, and both men were reduced to tears. It was a courageous act of mercy that saved five American lives. We don't tend to think of any Germans during that time being merciful. Mercy turns the world upside down. It it makes everything just a little bit different. You know, those people who were enduring their own self-made mess, you know, those people who, who hurt you, those people who are unclean, those people who we believe are beneath us, instead of, instead of judging them or hitting them back or suing them back, could we be merciful instead? Now, I know it's difficult in extreme situations, but, but what about in the smaller situations? Can we be merciful to those in our own home? <laughs> Could we be merciful to those that we work with, especially the ones that we don't really like or who are after our job? Could we be merciful to those people in our schools, the bullies, the ones the teachers, when they're having a bad day and they single you out. Y'all ever had that? I have, yeah. Could we be merciful to those people on social media? Well, now you've just gone too far. I mean, what does mercy look like? Well, mercy is acting on our compassion, first and foremost. Franz had compassion on this bomber pilot. And he acted on it. Compassion without action is very self-serving and it's pointless. Mercy is acting on your compassion. It's not passive. Mercy is also a change in our language. It may not mean saying what we want to. It may mean say, not saying what we want to even though we have every right to say it. 
Sometimes mercy is simply a kind word or a loving response instead of saying the words we really want to say. What does Ephesians 4.29 says? He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. He's not talking about cussing, really. He's talking about let no unwholesome talk. Don't, Don't say things that are going to be damaging and destructive. Don't say things that are going to tear people down. Instead, he says, say only things that are helpful for building one another up. So it may benefit those who listen. I think in one translation it says, uh, every word a gift. Mercy is also sacrificing our advantage. And many of us, we have advantage over people, whether we want to admit it or not. We enjoy certain advantages based on lots of different things. Mercy is sacrificing that advantage for the sake of someone else. Mercy is sown through sacrificing our desires and and mercy is grown in our desire to see others benefit. And I say the word advantage because I believe strongly Jesus is telling us very clearly, give up your advantage. Level the playing field. That's what we talked about last week. Why do you think he washed the feet of the disciples? Because he's saying, I have every advantage over you, but I'm choosing to sacrifice that because I want you to benefit. I want you to experience love. I want you to know what it feels like when someone's merciful to you. He's telling us to give up our advantage over those people who deserve it, those people who don't, those, those clean and unclean ones. And sometimes mercy is simply just not demanding what you want. But instead, it's letting someone else benefit from that. It's not taking the parking space at the very front on a busy day so someone else can have it. Mercy is made rich through empathy, and it's being able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. And that's a hard thing to do. Can we do that? Can we put ourselves in someone else's shoes instead of immediately assuming that they're wanting the worst? Could we practice radical mercy by forgiving someone regardless of what they have done or how hard they've tried to hurt us? Can we simply show mercy to those people in our own congregation? Can we show mercy to those people who aren't like us, who don't necessarily think like us? Can we show mercy to those people who may not necessarily want to worship exactly like we want to worship? Could we be merciful to one another in those conversations? Because I think, you know, I've been through that. And if, if we are more concerned with trying to get everything just right within our worship practices than we are with those people around us who need attention and love and mercy, then are we any better than the Pharisees? I mean, maybe it would be good for us too to learn what it means to be merciful how God desires mercy more than sacrifice. And I think if we really want to know what God desires, look at what he told Israel in Hosea chapter 6. God's people had become selfish. They had become very self-centered. They had become unmerciful. They did not really pay attention to the widow, to the poor, to the orphan. If they did, they, they took advantage of them. They didn't really pay attention to the different people or the less than or, or the immigrant or the foreigner. They didn't care about anybody except themselves yet they would still go to temple. They would still sacrifice, sometimes extravagantly. And that made God angry because they were wanting to have this relationship but weren't even caring about this one. 
So this is what he says to the people through Hosea in Hosea 6. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And if you really want to know what God desires, this is it. You can also see it in Micah chapter 6. I desire mercy. It's acknowledging what God has done for us, realizing that God has brought us, each and every one of us, to a place now where, oh, thank you, God, for bringing me here. Because the path I was on on my own was not necessarily a healthy one. It's acknowledging God and, and knowing him and knowing what he's done and how merciful he has been to us. And when we acknowledge that and we realize the mercy that has been shown to us, then it, it helps us want to give that mercy away to other people because mercy is the very character and nature of God. In fact, as we see there in this verse right here, God cares more for us being merciful with each other than he does how we worship. How many congregations have split because of this practice or this or that? It's something that's happened forever. It's been going on since the very beginning. God wants us to be merciful with one another. And I would say that, he goes so far to say that in those moments when we're not merciful, if I'm not merciful, I'm sinning. I would say that if I come to church here every Sunday and I'm trying to worship but I'm not merciful, then I'm, it's just pointless. I know mercy feels unnatural. It's, it's, it requires that we act on the behalf of someone else and not ourselves. But if you are merciful, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. So as we close today, I'm, I just want to encourage you. Um, the mercy you show today could have lasting consequences. And to prove that point, when Franz Stiegler and Charles Brown met um, at that hotel 50 years later, all of the men showed up. All five of these men that were in this bomber showed up and they all brought pictures of their family and what came from that meeting. Franz realized that there were 25 children born because of Franz's act of mercy. 25 people found life because one man decided to show mercy. I wonder who could find life in our sphere of influence through our single act of mercy. The clean, the unclean, who could find life? And I would say a lot more than we realize God has called you to be merciful. Show mercy. And you will be showing the very character and nature of God. Let's all stand together. I hope this has been an encouraging series for you. It's been encouraging to me. I tell you, there is hope for every one of us. God is here for you. We have men around the audience, you know. We have women that are ready to pray for you. I know that some of you may need prayer and attention, please don't pass this opportunity up to find someone and pray with them. I'll be right down here at the front. Let's, let's uh, sing together.